All right, dangers in these conversations. Wait just a minute. Um, first is contentious behavior. Uh, back to the Peter text that we've read several times over the last couple weeks. Peter tells us to have these conversations. Good morning. Hey, good morning, girls. Hey, good morning, Neb. Uh, Peter tells us to have these conversations with gentleness and respect. But some people, and I don't like to point fingers or name names, but some people just like to fight. And they can tend to be contentious in a way that's not contending for the faith. It's just contending to be right. It's just contending for uh, themselves, their reputation, to look good, to score a point, to win. Um, The question to ask ourselves in these conversations is what are we trying to prove? Are we trying to prove our intellect? Are we trying to prove our skill and training in rhetoric and debate? Or are we trying to prove the truth and the majesty of God? And if that's what we're trying to prove, that should impact the way we conduct ourselves in these conversations. In 2 Timothy 2... Paul says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Remember that this is the way we're supposed to think about these faith conversations is the reason that we're contending at all. The reason that we're going on the attack at all is that we view people as being captive to deception. They've been taken in by lies and they have the snares of the evil one wrapped around them and they are sinking into death. And our perspective is, I have to have this conversation because these kinds of conversations are the things that God may use to deliver them from death, escape from the snare of the devil. That is the purpose. You can't do that and be contentious. You you can't do that and decide that what this is really about is about making me look good or smart or well-informed or uh, some amazing debater. Um, I think you all know, you've heard me say many times, one of my favorite lines that I ever read about preaching in one uh, one of the books we read in school was that it is not possible in the same sermon for the preacher to prove both that he is clever and that Jesus is Lord. And just replace clever with contentious in our faith, right? It, you, you've got to be focused on one thing. And the thing you're focused on will come at the expense of some other things. And if your focus is the majesty of Christ, it can't also be the majesty of yourself. It cannot be. Uh, that's why we have to decrease so that he can increase. Because they are mutually exclusive. 
You cannot set yourself up on this pedestal as somebody who should be honored and glorified and admired while you're trying to convince someone else that Christ is above all and Lord of all and deserves all of our uh, glory. So contentious behavior is one of the things that we've really got to be on guard against. And we ask ourselves the question, what am I trying to prove? What, what am I really after in this conversation? And if you are after the majesty of Christ, then you will be protected against the danger of contentious behavior. Questions or comments about that one? I just, uh, I had put together what you just said about uh, yourself not decreasing. It's, it's, uh, sadly, probably why we see so many celebrity pastors and evangelists who have who fall so hard because they they haven't decreased, right? They, and they consider their opinion to be so much higher than anyone else they think it's and it's really hard. I, I I don't intend to lack sympathy when I say this, but they read their own press. It, it's it's really easy when you're good at something and people tell you that you're good at something to start to believe them and to think that that strength, that power is a you thing. And you just you believe your own press. And then that's the way that you move forward. Um, you know, for me, believe it or not, the contentious thing is not as much of a struggle. Um, maybe it should be. <laughs> it's the clever part that's the struggle, is you want people to think you have the answers and you know them. You want people to think, man, this guy really has it figured out. And it's not possible with the deep soul questions that you have. I can't at the same time convince you that I have the answer and that Christ has the answer. I can't convince you to look to me and to keep your eyes fully fixed on him. So you can imitate me as you imitate Christ. I can repeat Christ's words back to you. But I can't claim the cleverness, the wisdom, the intellect of these words and glorify Christ. I have to pick. And when you get a lot of praise for being a good teacher or preacher or evangelist, you start to think they're your words. That, well, yeah, of course it comes from God. But I just have this, this real gift for taking the complicated and helping people to understand. You, you have a gift, huh? Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, it has to be by the power of God. Um, no surprise, it ties in perfectly with today's sermon text from Micah, where one of the things that God is promising, along with the redemption of his people, is that actually he's going to use his people, the church, to crush his enemies. We will be the tool that he uses, and we are, in fact, even now, the tool he is using to crush his enemies. But the moment we think we can do that in our own strength, we're doomed. Because the enemy is stronger than us. The enemy is not stronger than God, but the enemy is much stronger than us. And when we start to rely on our own strength, we're in big trouble. Um, and so God, through Micah, uses this great analogy of um, an ox treading out the grain on the threshing floor. And God says he gives the ox horns of strength 
and basically horseshoes or cowshoes of strength. Uh, I didn't quote it in the sermon because I thought it would give us the giggles too much, but one of my commentaries says, refers to the church as a holy heifer. <laughs> because, he, because he does use the analogy of he's making us this strong ox so that we can crush the grain. And, it, you know, he just says it in total passing of, you know, the Lord's holy heifer will crush his enemies under his foot. I was like, I don't think I can say that with a straight face. Uh, yes. Count to three. Very important. You get the counting right. All right. The second thing that is a danger in these conversations that we need to avoid is the temptation of pride. Uh, and so this ties in with, with what we were just talking about. If you defend the faith, you don't have to be a famous pastor or evangelist. You don't have to have an audience of hundreds of people to become puffed up with pride from success. If you study the faith a lot, if you become learned about Christianity, and if you have any degree of success in these conversations, not even like the, the kind of success that God would call success, which is that he chooses to use them, is great. Uh, there's a danger that that would puff us up with pride. But then there's even the danger that a kind of success that God doesn't actually call success, the kind where we get to make the mark on the scoreboard, I won. You know, I, I showed that person that they're wrong and that their view's an idiot and that I'm smarter. And that We would call that a win, a success. God doesn't. But even that kind of success can go to our head. And there's this temptation to become proud. And this is not just sinful it is sinful and we need to repent of our pride but in these conversations it's really problematic because nothing on a human level will make your hearer not want to hear you like arrogance nothing will shut people down to what you have to say faster than coming across like a know-it-all And on one level, it shouldn't be that way because the truth of something is not affected by who says it or how they say it. But we all know our experience, which is when somebody's being a know-it-all jerk, you don't care what they have to say. And so if we get puffed up because we have all the right answers, we're doing damage to the cause that we're supposed to be uh, going after here. We are closing our hearers' ears to what we have to say. Um, as you get more clear answers, there will become a tendency, conscious or not, sometimes it's, it's unconscious, to belittle or minimize Christians who are struggling with things that seem so clear to you. So as you learn doctrine, as you learn application of doctrine, what does it look like to believe God is sovereign and then to consistently apply that? And as you study and think through that, there's a temptation to look at somebody who's really struggling and think less of them. And by definition, think more highly of yourself. Um, We've got to be able to genuinely address the struggles of others. We've got to remember what it says about God in Isaiah 42, that concept of the bruised reed that he doesn't break and the smoldering wick that he doesn't extinguish. Our modern expression for that is hanging on by a thread. 
That's the ancient way of saying that somebody is hanging on by a thread. They're a bruised reed. They're, they're bent over. They haven't quite snapped off yet, but it ain't looking good. They are a smoldering wick. There is the teeny, teeny, tiniest bit of fire left there, but it is so close to being extinguished. And we talk about somebody, they're hanging by a thread. Um, they're holding it together with bailing wire. That's what I say about life a lot. Right? Um, we need to recognize when people are there and rather than be blinded by pride to belittle or minimize or ridicule their circumstance, we, we, we genuinely address out of compassion, out of sympathy, the truths that they need to persevere. Now that's different, again, as we've talked a lot about empathy in this class, it's a little different than part of what the sort of empathy movement wants you to do, which is to um, be so emotionally with them that you can't be detached enough to say, here's the truth that you need to persevere through it. That's not what Christianity calls you to do. Christianity calls you to be so committed to the truth and so emotionally with them that you're willing to, the best way that you can, use that truth to try and help them get out of that situation that they're in. It's not loving to someone to say, you're in a really bad place, let's just sit in this really bad place together and be in a really bad place. That's not as loving as, you're in a really bad place. I am so sorry you're in a really bad place. Here's the truth that gets us out of this really bad place. Let's walk through this truth together. That is what helps people. And we can't do that if our first response to somebody's situation is, what an idiot. (laughs) I mean, how'd you do that? How'd you get there? Um, Think about people as the bruised reeds. Think about them as the smoldering wick. And part of remembering this is uh, humbling yourself that we will not convert anyone. None of these conversations will ever succeed because of you. These conversations will succeed because of the power of God. If anyone is going to be converted, if anyone is going to be drawn closer to Christ, either in faith or in Christian maturity, it may be through what you did, which is why what we do matters, but it won't be because of what you did. It will be because of the power of God. And so humble ourselves. Uh, when, when we have a good track record, God has given us success. He's given us um, opportunities to be useful in someone's life spiritually, and those have worked out. They have been useful in someone's life spiritually. Give the glory to God. Don't take the glory for yourself and think that you could do it again without him. We watch this, uh, you parents see this in our kids' lives all the time, where they think because they watched us do something once, or they did something with our help once, they are now fully qualified to do it by themselves, and we don't have to be involved at all. And they don't realize how important that little part that we added to it was for preventing this whole thing from being a disaster. You know, the food processor did not chop off your fingers because what you don't know is I had the safety mechanism over here. Um, That's how it is with us with God a lot. We get success and it's very easy for us to look at all the things we did that brought it about. And those things are true and valuable and useful before God. But they are not the whole story, and they are not the essential part of the story. Because apart from his power, we can do nothing. 
That's the whole vine branches thing, right? It's not that we can do pretty good. It's not that we can get the ball 80 yards down the field. It is, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do no things, zero things, absolutely none of the things. Uh, And so the pride really has to come down. Now, I will say the other side of this coin, believe it or not, is despair. Um, A temptation that we're really bad at this and it's never going to work and God could not possibly do something useful in someone else's life through somebody as, as bad as me. Somebody who, I, you know, I never think of the right thing to say in the right moment. I feel like I bring more confusion than clarity. I, I, I show my emotions and my face so clearly and I'm trying to be sympathetic with people, but they just think I'm mad and my brows. Fr- and, and it's so easy to fall into despair of this is never going to work. It can't be done. And the reason why I put these two together, even though they're very different feelings, is the remedy is the same thing. The remedy is reliance on the power of God and not your own strength. That's the remedy. Is, oh, you know what God can do? Whatever he wants. And you know what I can do through Christ? All things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So in exactly the same case, whether it's pride or whether it's despair, what we need is a reminder of the power of God. We need to to cast ourselves entirely on him and trust in his abilities and not our own abilities. And that will prevent us from taking the pride as if we'd done this all ourselves or taking the despair as if nothing good could possibly come because I'm involved. Questions or thoughts about that one, two? One of the struggles of the age in which we live is that if you speak with authority, even though it's not yours, you will be perceived many times as arrogant. Yeah. Just the fact that you are sure of something in, in the age in which we live gets you thrown into the camp of yeah. arrogant know-it-all because you presume to have some truth. And we talked last week. You were teaching last week, right? Because yeah, I, I was in here. Oh. So that's last week, for those of you who were not here, That concept of uh, certainty and the red herring of people saying, you just shouldn't be so certain. And that's really what's wrong with you is you're just too certain. And then looking all the way through scripture, which tells us again and again and again and again, that's exactly what the Bible wants from us. That's exactly why God gave us his word so that we could be certain. We shouldn't be certain in our own abilities. We shouldn't be certain in our own plans, but we absolutely should be certain in the truth of God. And when somebody says, no, you shouldn't, we're back to the fundamental disagreement of, do we believe what God has said? That's fine. We can, we can, but let's get to that point. The problem isn't really certainty. That's a red herring. The problem is whether or not you want to believe God. And that's a much more fruitful conversation when you can get there. Other questions about pride, despair? All right. The last one I want to mention is temptation to compromise. This is one of the real dangers of these types of conversations. Let's face it. um, Everybody in this room, when they have a conversation with another person, you either want to be liked or want to be respected. Every one of us is driven by Both of those things, but usually in different measure, just depending on how we're wired. It's either really important to you to be liked, or it's really important to you to be respected. And 
all of us in general, unless we just happen to be in the mood that we're looking for a fight, we, we want to get along. Especially in these types of conversations where we've kind of psyched ourselves up for, all right, this is going to be a tough conversation. I'm, I'm asking this person to believe things that they don't believe. I'm asking them to think about questions they don't really think about. This is going to be hard for them. And so I'm, I'm going to try to make it as easy for them as possible. So we've got all of this going through our heads as we enter into this conversation. And the danger of those instincts is that if we're not careful, those instincts will tempt us to downplay the differences between the truth and the lies and to compromise doctrines, to act like things don't matter very much or aren't as far apart as they really are. Um, This is what causes people, even who disagree with you strongly and think that there should be a special prison for people who believe what you believe. But they will say things like, well, that's good for you. They don't really mean that's good for you. If they thought it was good for you, it would be good for them. What they mean is, I would just like to get along and get out of this conversation. That's what they mean. And we're tempted by exactly the same thing. Uh, think the, the absolute truth of Scripture The word we use, inerrancy. Scripture not just has no errors. Scripture, by virtue of what it is, breathed out by God, God's word, is not capable of error. It is not possible that Scripture has an error. That is a massive claim. I mean, that that is no holds barred. That is ultimate authority language. Is this word of God? It's really easy to compromise that away a little bit when you think, look, I'm trying to get this person to believe that they're a sinner in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior. I'm not going to get hung up on the perfection of the Bible. And so it's easy to just compromise a little bit on that. The exclusivity of the gospel, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But when somebody, you're just, you're trying to get them to, to believe Jesus, and, and they, they're really hung up on this idea that, that some tribal village in South Asia who's never even seen a Bible, that God would send them to hell, even though they're really nice people, and they're faithful to some moral code. And it's easy to just give away just a little bit. This discussion's not about that. So I'm just going to compromise a little bit so that you'll hear me on the rest of it. It's really hard. These things are tempting. And part of the challenge of Christianity, and I'm convinced that God has a lot of purposes for the things that he does. I'm convinced a purpose for some of the Christian doctrines that give us the most trouble the ones that we look at and we think, does that have to be there? Does that really? This was important. I'm convinced one of God's purposes for that is because we have to be willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world. He did not give us a faith that the world finds respectable. He did not make his word palatable to his enemies. 
He made his word even tough in places for us who are being transformed and renewed by that word. And yet it's a, it's a, it's wrestling. It's Jacob wrestling with God. It's, it's Jonah needing three days in time out. It's, it, it is a real process by which God makes us submit to this word because ultimately Christianity is submission to the word of Christ. And what in life is harder than submission? Real submission, not fake submission. Submission, fake submission uh, is easy for all of us. That is when you recognize the authority of someone who's telling you to do something that you think is a good idea. That's fake submission, right? Because it's easy. I would do that anyway, even if you didn't tell me. And so I will recognize your authority. I'm happy to do this when you told me to do it because I think it's a good idea. Real submission is when what the person tells you, I don't think it's a good idea. I, 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 this is not what I would choose. I see a lot of problems in this. <laughs> this is, uh, I, and however we frame it, that moment where the human heart says, I will do the thing that I would prefer not to do for no other reason than trust and love in the authority of the one who told me. That's the hardest thing humans ever do. And it's a supernatural thing. It can only be done by the power of God. And so we've got to be willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world. And some of these doctrines on which we cannot compromise are, are kind of a test of that. Are, are we willing to do it? Or will we say, ah, God, I, I don't think you get the bigger picture. I think we could win a lot more people over. I mean, this, this really, this is the, uh, not to pick on him, except I'll pick on him because it's the perfect example. But this is what Andy Stanley did with the Old Testament. He said, the Old Testament has complicated, difficult, weird stuff in it that has become a distraction and a stumbling block for people. So in an effort to reach those people, which is a good thing, we should get rid of that because it's a stumbling block and a distraction. And the problem is, why stop with the Old Testament? It's a pretty arbitrary distinction. You should just take all the parts of the Bible that people find unpalatable and take all of those out. And that's eventually what happens. When you go down that path, that is eventually what happens. When you decide, I know better than God what word his people need, then you end up with a very small word that you give people because you're just trying to find the smallest nugget that won't piss them off. And you know what's even worse? What the sad tragedy of this is? It can't be done. Because ultimately, the gospel itself is a stumbling block. You can get rid of all that other stuff But on that single principle of Jesus is the only way and only when you die to self and absolutely submit yourself to him, can you be saved? Is that any more palatable than any of the problems of the Old Testament? I mean, that is such a offensive claim that I'm deserving of absolute damnation and I cannot be saved unless I do what this Jesus of Nazareth tells me to do. That's offensive. Yep. That's what the New Testament says. It's a stumbling block, a rock of offense. Many fall over it. So you can take away all the other ones, 
all you've done in the end is undermine your whole argument because you're still not going to save anybody. You're going to get to that point and they're going to stumble over that one. Um, And so that temptation to compromise is something that we've got to be on guard against. We've got to be willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world. Um, One of the uh, counterintuitive things that the New Testament says about this is there's glory in this foolishness. Most of our foolishness that comes from folly comes from our sin and our error and lack of wisdom. There's no glory in looking like an idiot. (laughs) We have many opportunities in our own house to laugh about them. Uh, Situations like this. Often I am the initiator of types of situations where I do something so foolish that all you can do is laugh at yourself. Yep, that is worthy of ridicule. Not mean-spirited ridicule, but man, what a stupid choice that was. How did you, or we say to our kids sometimes, how did you think this was going to end? (laughs) What did you think would be the consequence of this particular action? Um, Folly and glory don't usually go hand in hand. But one of the counterintuitive things of the New Testament is that what looks foolish in the eyes of the world will bring you glory. It is actually what gives you a share in Christ's glory because it's true, it's God-honoring, and it connects us with Christ. That's why uh, if we're going to be connected with him in his glory, we have to be connected with him in his reproach. We have, we, we have to be entirely with Christ. We don't just get to pick. I like to be with Christ on the good days, and then Christ can be out on his own in the rainstorms. We have to be entirely with Christ. And so we're with him in ridicule, and we know we will be with him in glory, but we have to be with him in that ridicule uh, in the eyes of the world. So questions about that one and about those three in general, these are what I think are the real dangers we need to be on the lookout for in having these conversations. I would say for number three, the temptation to compromise, sort of a, in my relatively recent experience, both as the evangelist and the one being evangelized, I would so when I was the one being evangelized, I would have some of these really kind of what the person I was talking to, he called them 400, 500 level questions yeah. going on the like academic scale. And he did a really good job of not dismissing them, but also letting me know it's not going to make a whole lot of sense unless you take the 100 level and go up. I don't know if that's something universally one could apply, but I found that that's been helpful for me on not compromising but recognizing it is a complicated issue that they're bringing up. For me, it was sovereignty of God. It's like, okay, it's a great question. Going to have to take some steps before we get there. Yep. So that, that was kind of a something that I do for number three. It's a, it's a great approach. And one of the things you said is key, which is not, not dismissing it. Right? It's easy to say, oh, that's just a red herring, or you're not ready for that, or like just to be dismissive, as opposed to saying, what a great question. We've got to lay a foundation for the answer. So can we spend some time laying the foundation? And what you will find is biblical Christianity has an answer for that. It really does. But we've got to, we've got to build up to it. We, we've got to lay the groundwork first. Yeah, uh, and that 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 is a really critical aspect. And different people are different for me. It was a lot of 
philosophical things like that. For a lot of people my age, it's some of the social things. You know, Ephesians is a big hang-up. Wife submits your husbands. A lot of women I know are just like, no. Duly noted. I'm like, I can... Yeah, pretty sure no women in this room feel that way. (laughs) Well, it's because of the quality of their husbands. (laughs) But anyhow, yeah, it's like, yeah, it was that was helpful. There's always the button like the you know that people come back with right that they don't really know what it totally means, but they have those little things to push the buttons right. Well, what's this about submitting to your husband? You know, yeah, doormat that you know is the abused wife or something. You know, I mean they you know because they don't know. And you you have to you know part of what we'll talk about along the way in this class is you've got to make the calculation. Humbly trusting in the Holy Spirit, give people the benefit of the doubt. But you really do have to make a calculation about what the person you're talking to is after. And when they are interested in a good faith conversation, then you can say that kind of thing of, hey, what a great question. Got to lay some groundwork. Got to, you know, I'm, it's, I'm excited that you're even thinking about that because that is really complicated. Or that took me a long time. Get, or you know, a lot of people wrestle with that. You can be very sympathetic. Some people are just arguing and playing gotcha and moving the goalposts from here to there, and they're not engaging in the conversation in good faith. And that's the pearls before swine concept. It really is. And it, we don't like that because that sounds so rude. It sounds like I'm just writing you off. You're not writing them off forever. Yeah. You're writing them off for this conversation. Take every conversation one at a time. And if it is clear to you, the Holy Spirit of God is working in you as you're having these conversations. Your gut is valuable here because it's sanctified gut. <laughs> and like a holy heifer. <laughs> the sanctified gut of a holy heifer. That is a delicacy in French cuisine for the record. Um, trust, trust your gut of, I really think this person is just looking for gotchas. I really, like, this is not a good faith conversation. And, and just find a way to move on. And maybe you get a chance to come back to it later. Maybe your humility in that is something that God uses to open up the door for a further conversation. Maybe you never get to have that conversation with them again, but they remember that, and in the future somebody else can have that conversation. We, t- we take the long game uh, in, in God's plan with people's lives, but the more... the more threads somebody is trying to pull into a conversation... The more, yeah, but what abouts? The more my antenna go up for a, what are we trying to do here? Because if I say, hey, look, some of these are great questions and issues. Um, we're, this is one conversation. I, I'm not claiming that, even though scripture has answers for everything, I'm not claiming I could give you all those answers in one conversation. So what if we started over here, and then next time we talk about this and that? And if they're willing to do that, great. Or some version of that or some better plan they come up with, great. But when it's, you you can just tell. You can tell when what they're after is just, I want to win. I want to walk out of this conversation self-justified. And I'm not going to help you with that. I'm I'm not going to give you the fodder that you want to feel like, gotcha. Um, The scenario you brought up about 
uh, you know, the people in Africa who never had a chance, who are good, and they've done this, and I can't, you know, process how, how do they go to hell? I had that conversation with Crystal, and I, rem- I don't know if she remembers it, but, I mean, God must have been with you for that, because I wanted to win, and I was, but this, but this, we're going, her, one of her least favorite things are these scenarios. But I, I, I reject the hypothetical. <laughs> but I was ta- I was asking about that, and she said, and I remember it was the first time she kind of pointed out, you're hung up on good and nice. And I had in mind people who I wanted to be saved or situations. And she she told me that, but she didn't back off of, no, that this is the only way. This is the only way. And that was the only way to get through to me because we kind of put it, you know, set it aside and... I wanted to win, but then that came down, and that's more what kind of drew me in. And I don't, we're, if you ever play games with Crystal and I, we're very competitive, so it doesn't always work out this way. But, uh, it's just like this it out. No, good. Sometimes a scrabble board does up in the Think about what Andrew was saying about this. Uh, we got to build up to that, the building block concept, right? So when somebody, their problem is pagans go to hell. A, a good God would not send people to hell. That's a reasonable question. There's nothing wrong with asking that question. But think about all the things I've got to make sure you understand in order for God's answer to that to make any sense. Holiness. You've got to actually get Holiness, because what we think of holiness is better than somebody else. We think of holiness as varying degrees of imperfection, and you're less imperfect than the unholy person. But God sees holiness as an absolute brightness, pure white, in which there is no shade or shadow, absolute truth, not even a shadow of turning. Holiness is moral perfection. We don't have a category for that. So then we say things like, they're good people. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are they holy? Well, nobody's perfect. Ha! What if there was, though? What if there was one God who was perfect? I mean, well, nobody could live up to his standards. Ah! All right, so let's talk about justice. Let's talk about sin. Let's talk about the fall. Let's talk about rebellion versus redemption. You think because those people haven't held a Bible in their language that their hearts are not in rebellion against God because they don't know their hearts are in rebellion against God. But Romans 1 makes it clear their hearts do know they're in rebellion against God. And they're choosing it. And they're quite happy with their choice. And... That's a lot of stuff to unpack, to deal with a reasonable question. How can a good God send people to hell when they don't even know it? They don't even know what choice they're making. Wow, we got so much work to do there. And so on all of these issues that people will bring up, that we will come to our own minds in these types of discussions, you've got to think about the underlying concepts and doctrines that are essential for understanding that answer. Guys, that is in a major way, that is what we're trying to do in this catechism class with the kids. The whole purpose of that class is so that when your kids ask you questions that require theological answers, 
They've got some vocabulary that you can point back to. We've helped to give you some sort of building blocks so that you're not having to unpack all of that for the first time with them. And you say, okay, remember how God, you know God is this. All right, well, think about what that looks like in this kind of situation. Think about, and it gives you something. It, It just gets, it gets that foundation laid. We all need that. That's not just kids. That's everybody. And so when we're in these conversations with people, um, really what we're doing most of the time is we're given the opportunity to lay one of those building blocks and somebody else will lay others and somebody else in God's providence will come along and we'll get to put it all together. (laughs) Um, We may get the opportunity in our lives a few times to build a lot of blocks for people. Um, That's a great experience when you have that opportunity. But we need to be content with, God, you gave me one brick, and I'm going to lay this brick in this person's life if, if you'll be pleased to let me do that. Other questions or thoughts, Pam? Did you? Sorry, I thought you, no, no, thought you had a hand. Uh, what else about this? And then also, just for the last couple minutes, backing up, and any questions so far about all the things we've talked about um, in terms of the Bible calling us to have these kinds of conversations, why we should have them, uh, what's, what's the purpose of them, and then what are the dangers of them, just kind of as, before we get into the tactical stuff starting next week. This may be dipping into the tactical, but is there a framework, if you're having this conversation, is there a framework to go by to kind of triage the situation where... These are the things, like these are the, these are the commonalities for these conversations, and you really should dismiss the rest of this stuff over here. Not compromise, dismiss it, and really focus in on yep. this. That's the rest of the class. Just <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the temptation of compromise, like I can emphasize, I can get the God gets the glory in it, and not about me. But I guess where I'm struggling is like the. Uh, the reproach, like I feel like it's a personal reproach in a situation, and I know that Jesus went through and experienced. It. Yeah, it doesn't mean I have to like it, <laughs> but I feel disconnected from it. Like even the fact that he went through it, and he accomplished it, and he got there in the end. It's like I know I'm not him, but I still take it personally in those reproachful situations. So yeah. I think that's what's. Maybe I'm less tempted to compromise. Maybe it looks different. It's like, well, I got this scourge upon me, so I just won't even do it. You know, I think that's what stops me potentially sometimes. So. Yeah, I'd encourage you to to spend more time in the Book of Hebrews because I struggle with the same thing, and Hebrews is a big help to me in that um, holding firm. <laughs> um, don't let the experience change your perception of whether or not it's worth it. So when the experience is it doesn't work, they're not effective. Or when the experience is it causes fights and division. Or when the experience is I take ridicule and rebuke for even trying. Christ is with you in all of that. In fact, that is when you are at your most with Christ is in all of that. Um, and that is not, that is a, on a separate piece of paper from the calculation of is it worth it? And it's, it's hard. And it's just because it's, it's discouraging and frustrating in alternate experiences, right? Um, 
And so we need that encouragement from Hebrews to hold firm. Hold firm. Don't let your experience of this change what you what you do. Yeah. Daphne? It just seems like um, that conflicts with the pearls before swine thing. Because we do read those situations and I have in my head no, this, this, the, these conversations, they glorify God. But then in the experience, you're like, this is not, this person is not, I should, I, I don't. I'm not sure what the question is. I, it seems like those two things, what you just said, it just completely conflicts with the pearls before swine. Like, how do you know which one it is? How do you determine if the conversation is throwing pearls before swine or just an uncomfortable conversation that does are still called to truly happen. glorify God. Yep, welcome to the tension of the Christian life. <laughs> How do you decide whether you're answering a fool according to his folly or not? Right. It's the tension of the Christian life. How do you decide whether you're buying too much house so that you're wrapping up your love for possessions in this house or you're enjoying the good gifts that God gave you in this house that he's provided an opportunity for you to buy? That tension is the Christian life. Um when I'm in that conversation where I'm being ridiculed, I'm 100% confident that the person is swine and I'm throwing my pearls before swine. <laughs> and when I, step, when I step back away from it, I will oftentimes realize you needed to be more patient. You needed to, like, they weren't going to take this one, but there is an opening there. There is a, 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 a small crack, a sliver in the door. Um, and the opposite has happened too where I've realized, wow, I just wasted 30 minutes. And it's because, for me, one of the gauges I can use to measure this is, in the end, I know when I was fighting to be right. And they, I went into the conversation with the right intentions and the right ideas. They were swine acting like swine. And instead of disengaging in a respectful and humble way, I just went into the fight. And then it just ends up two pigs rolling in the mud. I'm prone to think that if you're going to err on one side, I think I would want to err on the side of the pearls before swine more often than just like, oh, well, this might be, I I should have this conversation, but it might be that. That would be a lot to be, I don't know. what I'm prone to think. Uh, It's tough. I I know why you feel that way, and that instinct is a good one, right? It's better to not write. If you're going to be wrong, it's better to be wrong not writing people off than wrong writing people off. It's a great instinct. The problem is that instinct doesn't recognize the, the badness of allowing the swine to trample what is holy. That's the whole point of the pearls before swine is discussion is that it is a very bad thing to give pigs pearls. You've wasted and brought shame on the pearls. And so to give dogs what is holy is a real problem. You've defiled what is holy. And so again, it's tough because there is a cost of throwing pearls before swine. It's not, it's not a neutral thing. It is something that we should avoid. In my own personal calculation of whether the person is a swine or not in front of me, 
I want to err the way you're erring, which is, I'm, but that's because I'm so critical. So I just cannot trust my instinct on that because I think everybody who doesn't agree with me is wrong. I mean, <laughs> of course. A lot of it comes down to reps, though. If you have no reps, of course you're going to Yeah, if you've been in three, four, five of these conversations with somebody, yeah, you do need more data than one conversation. I think that's a good point. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who just want to avoid. They're so concerned about avoiding being contentious that they would never write anyone off as this being a pearls before swine situation. And all I'm trying to say is that's wrong too. Otherwise, Scripture wouldn't tell us do not cast pearls before swine. Do not give dogs what is holy. Scripture says there's something there that we're supposed to avoid. We don't want to judge too soon to let ourselves off the hook. But we also don't want to refuse to do that because that would be wrong too.